Good. Well, good morning, everyone. And can I um, echo Nathan's warm welcome, particularly if you're visiting? It's great you're here with us this morning. Um, over the next five weeks, I want to try and address us as a whole church. Um, there's very few environments apart from the gathering on Sunday when we're, we're all together as a family. Um, and the reason to do that while we're all together is that we're at a really exciting point in the life of our church. Uh, if you look around, we've got this incredible building, which is a huge blessing to us, both on a Sunday and through midweek. Uh, we're full. Uh, half term, so a few people are away, but on a normal Sunday, we'd be full. At Christmas and Easter, we're spilling out into the concourse. It's a wonderful problem to have. God has richly blessed this church, but it leads us to need to consider what are we going to do as a church going forward? Because the most dangerous thing we could do at a church when we're like we are now is to just sit back and be comfortable because it's kind of nice being comfortable and because it's kind of easy being comfortable. And that's the very reason why we mustn't do it. And so over the next five weeks, I hope and pray that we can journey together as a whole church family and think a bit about where we're at as a church and why we're there and then what we're going to do about it. Uh, The series is called Uncomfortable. Of course, there's a a good comfort that we all need to know at different times in the Christian life. There's a comfort of being able to come to God, particularly when we are are hurting, when we're struggling, and just know the great embrace of God who just wraps his arm around us and says, I love you, and I'm not asking anything of you. I just want you to be who you are right now. And there's that kind of a comfort that we must never forget and we need to continue to speak into each other's lives and continue to pray for for each other. But there's also a discomfort in the Christian life that's equally as important. And it's a discomfort not that drives us to do more or go harder, but to actually slow down so that we can ask really important questions of what are we doing with our lives? And that's uncomfortable because it sometimes causes us to change what we're doing. And so we want to hold intention, the kind of good comfort. If you're here, and actually if you're honest, just being here today, even getting here was a huge deal. That's not insignificant. That's a wonderful thing. Just be here. God's not asking anything of you. But for those who perhaps are in a slightly different place, learning to become spiritually uncomfortable is actually a really important thing for all of us. And the challenge for this series has largely been provoked through uh, many, many hours of wandering the countryside around where we live here, thinking about the words of Jesus when he calls his first disciples. And you know those words, Mark chapter 1? Jesus says, follow me. And those words have been quite kind of sanitized because we read them about them in children's books. And yet their words, if we grasp the depth of them, should absolutely change everything in our life. And they should be words that make us hugely uncomfortable. Follow me. And so the purpose of this uncomfortable series is not to drive us to go harder and to do more. Please don't misunderstand that word uncomfortable. We're not looking at that. Instead, the purpose of this uncomfortable series is for us to ask questions of our heart... And to be able to say, Lord, what do I need to change that I might put myself in a position where my primary purpose in life will be to grow spiritually? What have I got to do? What's it going to cost me? What's it going to take for that to be number one? And that's a really uncomfortable question. And sometimes our busyness is actually a way of covering up, not ever having to address that question. Because we can just be busy with activity, often good activity, often Christian activity. But being really busy is the enemy of something far more important, which is our walk with the Lord, being absolutely front and centre. Um, over the course of this little series, we're going to be—they're all going to be slightly different styles. But particularly today, this will probably be the sermon with the longest introduction you've ever heard at Long Crendon, and we're in a sense going to get to the Bible later. 
And that's for no, in no sense because that is secondary to my thoughts or wisdom or anything like that. It's because until we step back and actually reflect a little bit on where we're at as a church, it won't be as easy to really engage with what God wants to say to us as a church. And so I pray that for some here, this series will provoke us to radically rethink our life. Because I know, having spoken to some here, that directions of lives and the life that some here are living are not lives you want to live. And for some of those people who've spoken to me, it's just a life that is just too busy, too frantic, too full. And you just think, I need to stop and reflect, what am I doing with my life? Because I'm owned by Jesus Christ. What does he want me to do? For others, it may be more of a sense of um, recapturing that first love, that love you first had for Jesus when you were baptized, so full of joy. And then just the mundane living for Christ day to day has worn you down. And for others, it may just be a sense, actually, I've been sitting on the fence an awfully long time. I believe in Jesus. I've trusted in Jesus for my forgiveness. But if I'm really honest, I'm not following him. What's it going to look like for me to follow him? And so the attitude of our heart is the crucial thing. I've been struck by listening to the words of Jesus when he's speaking in parables in Luke chapter 8. And he says, verse 18, consider therefore carefully how you listen. How you listen. See, it's not just about listening to the voice of God. How do we listen? How do our heart, do our hearts respond when we're provoked to think differently? When we're provoked to challenge? Now, as a church, we've got an awful lot to be thankful for. But first of all, let's remind ourselves the purpose of the church. There's a wonderful picture here. A guy called Paul, the great apostle, speaks to a young pastor called Timothy. He's leading the church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he says in his first letter in chapter 3, these words. Paul to Timothy, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Just notice three things about the church in those verses. Notice, first of all, that the church belongs to God. How you conduct themselves in God's household. We're going to come back to this at the end. This church is not our church. This is God's church, and we mustn't forget that. Secondly, notice the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to act like a pillar or a foundation for what? Holding up the truth. Just like the foundations of this building and those great pillars at the back are holding up this church. So the purpose of the church is to hold up the truth of this person, Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So this is God's church and the purpose of the church is to uphold to a world that doesn't know him that there's only one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. And then notice the third thing. When Paul writes these instructions to Timothy, he's encouraging people to think about in this church how you conduct yourselves. In other words, how we're organized as a church, what we do as a church, really, really matters to God. We're not just playing Christian stuff when we come to church on a Sunday. This matters because this is God's church, because this church upholds who Jesus is, and therefore what we do as a church and what we do with our lives really, really matters to him. Now, we've got an awful lot to be thankful for as a church. Here are a few pictures on the screen just to help us reflect. We have always been a church that has focused an awful lot on the name of Jesus and upheld his name. And rightly so. This church would never be a church that honors God if Jesus wasn't at the center. What a wonderful thing that we can come here and he will be front and center every week. He needs to be. 
What a wonderful thing. Michael spoke about in his um, interview earlier. The warm welcome. Many people speak of this church as being a place where you're welcomed warmly. Rich hospitality. A friendly face. It's very possible in lots of churches in this country to walk in and slip away completely unseen. Wonderful that by and large that doesn't happen in this church. Our welcome is a very good thing. Consider our history. It's easy to be negligent of our history. We are where we are today for a reason. The first people who met in Long Crendon to form what would become Long Crendon Baptist Church started praying in someone's home in 1799. Did you know that? It's important for our history. The first time people met in this bit here, in this old bit of the Baptist chapel before the extension was put on, this bit that we're sitting in now was built in 1853. And every year since that time, people have been coming here and being built up and sent out. We have a rich history as a church, and we'd be really naive to forget that. Some of you who've been here for decades are part of that rich history. And it's through your faithfulness and your parents' faithfulness and their parents' faithfulness that we are where we are today. And then wonderfully in God's providence and through incredible generosity of many sitting here, this building was completed, as it were, in 2014 with a wonderful extension that has led to more gospel work being able to be done here and led to functionality, not just on a Sunday, but to be a service to our whole community all through the week. We've got an awful lot to be thankful for. Uh, We've grown a lot and we must be thankful for that. We've grown in people, drawing people from a wide range of areas. And that's a wonderful thing. We've got a rich team of ministry leaders serving in wonderful teams across our church. Uh, We've always been a church that's had a rich history of sending out missionaries. And that continues by God's grace and it's wonderful. Uh, Thanks often to the hard work of the missionary team who've worked particularly hard in the last two or three years to really make that um, a stronger partnership between our mission partners and this church. The fact we're now praying for them regularly in home groups. It's a wonderful thing. Partnerships like supporting churches in Buckingham, a new church in Marlow, supporting Wheatley in the early days when they got going, praying increasingly with our friends down at St Mary's. Wonderful partnerships that haven't always happened in the church and they are thanks to God. And then, of course, plentiful resources, a wonderful building, fantastic people. I still think an awful lot of untapped potential in this church. Um, Plenty of God-given money through the generosity as God has stirred our hearts. We have so much to be thankful for. And yet, with all those things we're to be thankful for, consider some of the challenges we face as a church. Most of the challenges are associated with our growth. Think about our size It's very easy, isn't it, to come to church on a Sunday and because we have a lovely building and there's lots of people, it's just comfortable. It's easy to hide in a crowd, perhaps get complacent. It's one of the reasons we wrote that booklet two or three years ago, The Joy of Giving, Praying and Serving, to help us all to see that we can't all just be consumers and a few in the core group making everything happen in church. We've all got gifts and we all need to use them and it's a great joy to use them. Think about the fact that it's easier now in a bigger church to kind of get lost in the crowd. It's noisy on a Sunday morning, particularly after the service. In a sense, wonderfully so, but it's difficult, isn't it? It's hard when the church is noisy. It's hard when you say, I don't know everyone anymore. And I've been at this church for 40 or 50 years and I used to know everyone. That's hard. Interesting, some people have said, I even feel like a stranger in my own church. That's just being honest about where we're at, but it's hard, isn't it? The church is changing. The church has changed. The church will continue to change, but that brings challenges. 
We'll look at it a bit more next week, but as a church gets bigger, perhaps the depth of relationships gets shallower, particularly on Sunday. It's harder to have a really meaningful conversation with a few when there's so many, and we're just buzzy-buzzy around with everybody who's here. As a church gets bigger, um, organization, it gets more complex. That's hard. It's harder and different leading a bigger church to leading a smaller church. It has implications for how we kind of do membership because you can't talk about everything in detail with a big church in the way that you can with a smaller church. It's just impossible. Pastoral care is harder to organize. People can fall through the net and it's really sad when that happens, but it does happen. Then think about change. Some people love change, they embrace change. Other people feel incredibly unsettled by change. It's not so much right or wrong, it's just the reality of the way that we're wired. But as a church grows and changes by definition, we'll all respond to that in a different way. But for many here, change, even if it's tiny, will feel hugely significant. So we need to accept that. We've got massive changes going on in society. The pace of life. And sometimes we're forced asking questions like, how on earth do I kind of fit the Christian bit in? It's completely the wrong question to be asking, but it's still a question we'll ask. How do I kind of juggle the complexity of life with all that's going on? Subtle changes in our culture with the word of God being undermined in ways that if we're not careful, we just get sucked along with and think are normative. Then you consider some of our values as a church. Being gospel-driven, Bible-shaped, spirit-empowered, prayer-dependent, people-focused, mission-minded. Each of us will will look at those and say, that's a value I think is front and centre in the church. Here's a value I think is undermined or weaker in this church. And we'll all have different impressions depending on our experience. My personal conviction, I'm not convinced we're as spirit-empowered or prayer-dependent as we need to be as a church. You might have a different conviction. And that's part of the reason why at the recent members meeting we started talking about some of these things. It was wonderful, just round tables, throwing ideas down, and we'll share that feedback shortly. It's why there's a meeting this afternoon, because one possible option might be to start another church, but that's uncomfortable for the people who might leave to do that, and for the people who stay behind who don't do that. It affects all of us. It's part of the reason to have a bit of a discussion this afternoon. It's why we've set up a meeting at the end of this month, on the 30th of June, for a whole church family, not just the members, to come together and talk about some of these things. Because whatever we do going forward will have an impact on all of us. But the reality is that being uncomfortable is living life Jesus' way. Because you can't seriously think about the words, follow me, and say that Jesus wanted us to be comfortable. He wants us to be secure, and in his love we will be utterly secure. But these words aren't comfortable. They're words that are provocative. They're words that challenge. They're words that ask really big questions of, what am I doing with my life? But of course, if the church's purpose is to be a pillar and foundation for upholding the truth of who Jesus is, these conversations really, really matter, don't they? They really matter. Where does this leave us? Just for a moment, uh, I'd love you to think a little bit about the, a typical life cycle, of maybe in any organization, but let's think a moment for a church as well. You start off a new thing, and there's a sort of energy with anything that starts up, and it's exciting, and everyone's kind of in on it. But then you'll know from an organization or a church, things get established, and as they get established, you then need to sort of stabilize things. And that's challenging. You could call it kind of white water. There's challenges in the life of a church. 
And then you might get into a period of what you might call the treadmill. It's a kind of, it's just hard going, doing the same thing every week. And it can be challenging. You can sometimes feel you're not going anywhere. But then you think of any organization that begins to struggle. The reason is, is they find themselves in a bit of a rut. Now, if you think this is all very sort of secular, nothing to do with the church, consider a church you know that's now really, really struggling, in decline, maybe about to close. Do you think that was always the case? Most of the churches around here that are struggling once were very vibrant. And part of the reason, perhaps, is that they found themselves in a bit of a rut. And maybe one of the reasons that we find ourselves in a rut as a church or as an individual in our Christian life is we forget to ask the really important question of why. Why? It's so easy to be so focused in our life on what we're doing as a church, how we're doing it as a church, that we never step back enough and slow down enough to ask the question, why? Why do we do what we do in the way that we do it? Why? But of course, the what we do and the how we do it feeds back into the kind of culture that we create as a church. And if we do the same thing in the same way without ever asking why... We can get stuck in a rut. And you see from the diagram that if we're not careful, if you don't recognize you're in a rut, we start to decline and then perhaps die. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, that Long Crendon Church could ever find itself in a rut and, dare I say it, ever decline and then die? But plenty of really full and vibrant churches have and I'm not saying or even suggesting that we're in a place where this is about to happen or will happen, but it's just worth being uh, aware of it because we'd be very complacent if we go, this church will always be vibrant. We have to ask questions of ourselves. Now, here's a great truth to anchor all of this in. Ken prayed these words in our little prayer meeting before the service. Jesus speaks these wonderful words in Matthew chapter 16. I come to these words all the time I get discouraged because he puts down this like foundation stone and says this. I will build my church. Not I, the pastor, will build my church. Not us, the members, will build our church. Jesus says, I will build my church. This is his church, and he will build it. And yet, the church is the people, and the people and the church is therefore only ever as alive as the people within it are alive. It doesn't matter how wonderful a building you have, if the people of God within the building are not alive, the church won't be alive. And of course, we're not talking about physical life because there are plenty of churches in this country and across the world that are full of people that are spiritually dead. This church will only ever be as alive as the people within it are spiritually alive. Where would you say Long Crendon is today? You might say we're at this kind of place where Lots is going really well, and it is, and we're in a really exciting place. But if we don't keep making sure that we're in a spiritually uncomfortable place so that we spiritually will keep growing, rather than pushing on both numerically and in our depth and our love for Christ, we might end up finding that we do find ourselves in a rut. And maybe we won't realize we're in a rut because it's just nice being in a big church with a good team, with lots of good things going on, but it's so dangerous if we become spiritually complacent. So let me ask you the first really uncomfortable question of this series. Ask yourself this question. Is Long Crendon Baptist Church meeting me where I'm at? 
Or is Long Crendon Baptist Church meeting Jesus Christ where he is at? Do you see the difference? The first question is incredibly dangerous. Because if we come to church and we say, is this church meeting my needs? The danger is if the church fails to meet my needs, I end up either withdrawing or becoming disengaged or bitter or critical, or I just eject myself completely. Of course, there's a right place for challenge. There's a right place for questioning the way that we're doing things. That just needs honest and open conversation and prayerful repentance. But if I'm asking the question, is this church meeting me where I'm at? It's completely the wrong question to ask. It's a dangerous question. It's a question that is asked from a position of comfort. The challenging question is to say, is this church meeting Jesus where he is at? Is this church being what Jesus Christ wants this church to be? And I'm not suggesting it's not, I'm just asking the question. Well, there's your very long introduction. But what I wanted to try and do, particularly for this first um, talk in this series, is to help us understand where we are as a church. Be incredibly thankful for the place that we're at. There's so much to be thankful for. But for us to ask really important questions about, so what's next? Because what's next can't be, if we're serious about our walk with the Lord, just sitting back and being comfortable. That's spiritual suicide. Plus it's boring. It is. And so here are three little foundation stones which we'll keep drawing upon through this series. We've already touched on this one. But friends, let's remember that this is God's church and not ours. Um, A couple of books I've read in preparation for this series. Um, You can tell from the title the sort of thing these books are trying to engage with. Who Stole My Church? And Who Moved My Pulpit? They're books that are trying to engage with real empathy of the challenges of change in a church. What it feels like to be on the receiving end of change. And it's hard. But they're books too that speak words of comfort but also challenge to the heart of a leader of a church to make sure that we are not becoming complacent. Change is about growth in many ways, and growth and change is hard because it's a battle for our heart often, and it plays with our emotions. But it's wonderful to know, or to ask this question, whose church is it? See, Paul writes to Timothy, that letter we looked at at the beginning, and he says, Timothy, the purpose of the church is to act as a pillar and foundation, to uphold the truth of who Jesus is. Then you get to a passage in Acts chapter 20, and this is Paul giving his sort of um, final words to the Ephesian elders. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. He's reminding these leaders, this isn't their church. It's God's church. And friends, we've got to remember that this is God's church. If we just rewind a little bit. Yes, there's this wonderful truth. God and his sovereign, incredible, miraculous, sometimes we can't understand his power of how he does it, builds his church. And yet, the same thing, this same church that in Ephesus was told by Paul, you have to act as a pillar and foundation in the truth. You go to the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, and God speaks with the apostle John to this same church and says, you have forsaken your first love taking your eyes off Christ and so he says I will remove my lampstand it's a reference to his spirit from its place yes there's this truth that God will build this church it's not ultimately about us it's about him but in the same vein if we forsake our first love for Christ and that joy that we first had when we came and put our trust in him 
He can remove the work of his spirit from our church and we feel powerless and we lose our joy and we stop loving each other. This is the same church. The word I is the most dangerous word to speak in a church. I want dot dot dot. I think dot dot dot. However passionately we might feel about this church, I love this church. I love it. But however passionately we feel about this church, here's something that's more important. We can be utterly sure that God loves this church more than we ever could. Because it's his church. And so rather than asking the questions, I want this, I think this, particularly in the context of the discussions we're having at the moment about the future of the church, the question we need to be asking, and it needs to be spoken from a position of humility when we're on our knees praying needs to be God this is your church what do you think we should do next what's your heart church, God for your church it's a hard question to ask but the reason it's so important is if we come back to this little diagram of any organization including a church that grows and then declines as we grow it brings changes change brings with it complexity complexity is unsettling so it causes us to feel concern and rightly so And concern, if it's not handled carefully and sensitively and pastorally, can lead to conflict. Churches are not immune from conflict. Hopefully we're aware of that. And conflict can lead to chaos. What's one of the greatest tonics to avoiding conflict and chaos through the pains of change? Friends, it's remembering that this is God's church, not ours. And not being precious about what we want, what we think but humbly getting on our knees and saying, God, what do you want for this church? What do you want for the future? This is God's church, not ours. And so the next obvious question to ask is, are we being led by what God wants to do here? This is a passage I'd like you to turn to. The rest of the passages have been on the screen, but please turn up Hebrews chapter 12. It's on page 1211 in the Bible's you have in your hand if you've got a blue church bible (coughs) hebrews chapter 12 and i'm going to read from verse 25 Uh, the context of the book of hebrews principally it's a book of warning it's a book of warning to a group of christians who are in danger of kind of drifting who are in danger of forsaking their first love for christ and look at these very stark warning words that come hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 God says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Notice that's in the present tense. It's a daily question. Today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. We'll only persevere as Christians. This church will only persevere by the grace of God. If as a church we keep listening to the voice of God. And then comes the warning. If they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's speaking of people who rejected the earthly ministry of Jesus, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven, he rules now from heaven. And just as the world rejected Jesus when he was on earth, there's a danger that we will reject the voice of the ascended Jesus who's now in heaven. And we're warned against it. And then in verse 26, you get a quote from the book of Haggai. Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
What's the purpose of the book of Haggai? Haggai was a prophet and God spoke through him. And the principal thing that Haggai was asking was this. Whose house are you building? Or to put it in really simple terms, what are we doing with our lives? And as we ask that really important question, to put it in its most simplest, as we ask or answer the question of Jesus, will you follow me? We must be really careful that we don't refuse him who speaks. And the first thing we'll do to refuse him who speaks is not listen to him who speaks. So what do you think is the most important thing for us as a church to do right now? Ironically, it's not what we do. It's who we look to. Just look down again at verse 28. Who is this God that we must continue to look to as a church, that he will build this church. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with what? Reverence and awe. Why? For God is a consuming fire. Very easy for these words to become sanitized. Very easy to rationalize these words away. God is a consuming fire. Has he captured your heart? Do you love him more today than the first day you trusted in him? If you don't, fine. But will you today love him more? And pray for his spirit to get hold of your heart. Because he is a consuming fire. And this God, the only God, is the one to be worship with reverence and awe I'm sure there are some and I'm just as guilty as anybody else who will come to church on a Sunday because it's just nice and because we're comfortable and we enjoy it but we've lost that awe we've lost that reverence and I know we joke about it and we sing the little song and we all sing it with kind of childish voices. Don't put him in a box. Don't shove him in a corner. Don't you limit what God can do. And yet in that little song we sing with three-year-olds in this church is some of the most profound theology you'll read anywhere. Don't put him in a box. Don't shove him in a corner. Don't you limit what he can do. And yet sometime in our human nature we do limit what God can do. Because when God is in control, we can't be in control. And guess what? It's uncomfortable. This is God's church, not ours. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The church is in far safer hands if it's in God's hands than in ours. So a challenging question, a, challenge, a question that makes us naturally very uncomfortable is are we being led by what God wants to do here? I'm not suggesting we're not. I'm asking the question. But perhaps not. Look at the final thing, which I really want to encourage each of us with. I want us friends to know, every single one of us, whether we're new to this church or been at this church for decades, whether we're very young in the faith or been Christians for a long time, whether we're in a really strong place at the moment or really struggling, I want us to know that we all, all of us, matter to God. Have a look at this wonderful verse. If this doesn't make you excited about church, probably nothing will. Peter writes of the church, as you come to him, the living stone, speaking of Jesus, Jesus who was rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, this is speaking of the church now, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. What is God doing? 
He's bringing together people who are utterly different. Michael spoke about it in our home group. You couldn't get a group who are more different. But they love each other. And God is bringing together people who are different. People who wind each other up. People who for no other reason should come together in church. And he's building something beautiful. Not this beautiful building, but a beautiful people. And every single stone in that building matters to God. Why? Because we read in 1 Corinthians that you and I, if we're followers of Christ, are fellow workers in God's service. In other words, what is God's plan to take this incredible news of who Jesus is and the life-transformative work that he can do in our life? What is his plan to take that and transform a world that is godless and a world that is broken and a world that is lost? It's almost laughable, isn't it? Because God's great plan is to use this church and to use churches like it that a world can come to under know who God is. And you look around and go, that's just crazy. You look into your own heart and your own weaknesses and go, it's never possible. And yet that is God's great plan, to use the church. And the church is not the pastors, it's not the elders, it's not the members, it's not the people active in service. The church is all of us, every single person playing a part in being a stone that is together being built to become what God wants this place to be. And so friends, please don't misunderstand this series. I'm not calling us to go harder and do more. I think perhaps as a church we ought to be doing less things in terms of our busyness. But to be focusing on the things God wants us to be focusing on. And some of that will be to simplify what we're doing so we can look after each other better as the church gets bigger. And some of that will be to redirect some of our focus which will naturally gravitate inwardly to focus more outwardly for the sake of the kingdom of God and not just our comfort. Now that's a really difficult thing to balance. It needs really open and honest conversation. It's what we're going to be journeying through together as a church in the coming weeks. But I want to encourage us that when Jesus calls us to follow him, that is incredibly uncomfortable. But it's a good discomfort because it's a discomfort that will shake us, that will stir our hearts And it's a discomfort that will make sure that whatever we do in life, the most important thing is that we wake in the morning and say, Lord, today, whatever life throws at me, I will follow you. And the safest place that you can be as an individual and that we can be as a church is to be obedient to God. Think of Jesus on the lake and that great storm with the disciples and they were all freaking out because they thought they were going to die. In all of Israel, in that moment, what was the safest place to be? It was on a very uncomfortable boat in the middle of a storm. Why? Because Jesus was there. And friends, we need to be a church that continues to make sure that Jesus is here. And to help us to do that, we need to remember this is God's church, not ours. We need to keep humbly asking the question, Lord, are you leading what we're doing here? And we've got to all acknowledge that we all matter. And whatever we do going forward to the church, we've all got our part to play. So let's turn to this living God in prayer now. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming 
fire. Let's take a moment of quiet to reflect on those words. Our loving Father, we come before you this morning and we want to say sorry for the many times we forget that this is your church. We want to say sorry for the times we make it about us and our own comfort, our own preferences, instead about your name and your glory. We want to say sorry when the prospect of change naturally leads us to despair or worry or become critical before first coming to you in prayer. Lord, you are a consuming fire. We thank you for the amazing love that you have for this church. However much we love this church, however much as individuals people here have invested in this church, Lord, you have invested more in this church because you gave your one and only son. You gave everything for your church. So please show us, Lord, how much you love this church. And we thank you for the incredible blessing of being a part of this church. We thank you for all the people who are different bricks, who are built together to make this church what it is. And we thank you that is because of your grace, because of your love, because of your power. And Father, whatever being uncomfortable may mean for each of us, for some if it may mean stepping up to serve because you've never served before, for others if it may mean radically slowing down in life and perhaps in service in the church, to make our number one priority our walk with the living God. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort those who are disturbed and you would disturb the comfortable and that you would help us as a church with all the challenges and the joys of growth that lie ahead to keep in step with your spirit and what you are doing in this place. And so, Lord, in the moment we surrender our lives, our hearts, the future of this church into your hands, the safest hands. And we simply say, Lord, have your way in each of our hearts. Please, Lord, would you fill us afresh with your spirit and help us to recapture that love for Christ that perhaps some here have lost. And we pray this, Lord, that we would know the joy and the fullness of living life with you at the centre in all that we seek to do and be. So, Lord, would your name be lifted high? Would your name be glorified? And would the name of Jesus be on our lips, in our minds and on our hearts throughout this week, in our workplaces, in our families, in our times of leisure, and most importantly, in our hearts, we pray. Amen.